if I find some new material in the dumpster that I know that I can like source at scale, like there's a dumpster full of it every week. I just take a video and I say, Hey guys, look at this cool thing. What do you think I could make from it? What would you make from it? And that's my product research right there. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome back to the TMBA podcast. Thanks for choosing us. Thanks for sticking with me, even though I'm a little bit jet lagged today. I don't know if you can hear it through the microphone, but I am in the amazing city of Bangkok. I'm just going to flip around here in my chair. The skyline here is incredible, all inspiring. I took a walk in Lumpini Park this morning, and it's just so good to be back in Asia, kind of where this whole podcast started. Met a few of our customers yesterday, attendees of the event, and it's their first time in Asia. And it's cool to see it through their eyes as well. What an amazing place. What an amazing continent. A lot more stories from Asia coming up here through Q4 on the podcast. So this episode, I am incredibly excited about today. And our guest is actually going to host a workshop on the topic at Bangkok. So it's just cool to see the community getting together and sharing ideas like you're going to hear today on the podcast. So as I was prepping for this event, of course, DCBKK, really getting involved in the forum, digging around, looking for angles and content and ideas. And I noticed this thread that got huge traction. It's entitled, Going All In on a New Business Focused Around Dumpster Diving. The author is Dave Sheffield, who founded Buffalo Bottlecraft in 2015. And in his post, Dave links to a really cool Vice documentary featuring him and his wife, Erin. Used disposable cameras and I messaged the guy on eBay because I was like, why are you buying like why are you buying these? And apparently there's like capacitors in there that he uses for like flux capacitors. Yeah. For He's building a time machine. As you can hear, the documentary is super kind of heartwarming. And I think it touches to the core of what drives so many of us as entrepreneurs. It's like I don't know. There's something emotional about the story. And I think a lot of the audience feels the same way. So I'm curious how you guys feel about it. The documentary follows Dave and Aaron to learn about a business that they're growing through their hobby, which has kind of become a bit of an obsession, as Dave freely admits. The video got nearly 1.5 million views to date. And you know, Business Insider and all these other publications are picking it up. So we're sort of catching this whole thing right in the middle of it. It's so cool to watch. That's what we're all about here at the podcast. So I'm sitting on this thread and I'm like, we got to get this guy on the show right now. My job out of college was mechanical engineering. So I would design and build assembly lines for companies like 3M or like Corning. And after I got kind of burned out in that job and was thinking, hey, what can I like make and sell online? I learned a ton about like lean manufacturing there. And 
figured if I could come up with a product that I could set up that kind of like assembly line for, then all I would have to do is, is sell it. The origin name of Buffalo Bottlecraft was taking wine bottles and liquor bottles and cutting the tops off and making them into drinking glasses. But it was so labor intensive that I couldn't scale it. And I didn't know anything about hiring employees at that time. So I had to like pivot to something that I could actually make. So it's interesting because the origin of Buffalo Bottlecraft, which now has all kinds of cool products. I mean, I would have called these maybe premium promotional products back in the day or those sorts of things where they're gift items, bottle cap openers stuck in hockey pucks, stuff like that. But you started with a concept of an upcycled product with the wine bottle. It's an interesting full cycle moment. Can you help us visualize Buffalo Bottle Craft? Like you built your own assembly line. What does yeah. it look like? How many people work there? Maybe revenue figure, whatever you feel comfortable sure. sharing to help us visualize your enterprise. Yeah. So we have a 2000 square foot shop in Buffalo, New York. We've got a 40 foot shipping container in the back for inventory. We've averaged like five to $600,000 in revenue the last two years. We're probably going to be 25% higher this year. And we have a printer. Most of the products we can customize. So that lets us go after a lot of niches. What do you mean go after a lot of niches? We have a UV digital printer, which means we can print a logo or a photo on basically any three-dimensional object. So we can take one product, like our baseball bottle opener, right? We can sell that as a standalone product, but we can also print on it and come up with a design set for groomsmen's gifts, for coaches' gifts, for retirement gifts, anniversary gifts, birthday gifts. You're basically going after different keywords. Like championship trophy for baseball team. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Amazon and Etsy make up 80% of our revenue. The rest is wholesale and our website is like 5% because we don't drive any traffic to it. That's how we've been growing our business. Tell me about the first time you dumpster dived and what is it? I've been dumpster diving a long time. So I see a lot of waste and I kind of don't like that our culture is so materialist, but that clashes because I like to make stuff and I'm making a product that I see as kind of a tchotchke, which means it's going to, somebody's not buying it for themselves. It's being given to them. And a lot of times people don't need another bottle opener and it just ends up in a drunk drawer. And yeah, it might've like given the person who gave the gift some value and the person who sees it might be cool, but I just end up feeling like I'm contributing to that problem of waste and producing things for no reason just because I can make some money off of it. Dumpster diving is mainly just going out and finding stuff in the trash. It could be stuff on the side of the road. It could be like in an actual dumpster behind a building. The first time I did it was when I was in college. At the end of every year, like in May, when all the students would move out, they came to college with a suitcase. They got to leave with a suitcase. Everything that they acquired in the year that they were in their dorm gets tossed in a dumpster, basically. So that's when I started finding just tons of good stuff. And that's actually how I met my wife. Tell me about the stuff you found. Like, what were you going to do with all this stuff? I mean, I'm looking for stuff that I can resell or like use. So my main income 
dumpster diving in college was textbooks. Finding textbooks in the trash when the students moved out, that was one way. Another way was the students would go into the bookstore to sell their books back. The bookstore would say, no, we're not buying that book this year. And I would watch them walk out, throw the textbooks in the trash. So I know that three weeks before the semester ends, I start checking that garbage can every single day and pulling out five to 10 textbooks. And I would make a couple thousand dollars a year, every year, just selling textbooks back. Did you ever get in fights with other students who had realized this insight about the universe that thousands of dollars of free cash flow were being tossed into trash cans on the campus? No, no, man. There was really no competition. And there like still isn't. I even dumpster diving today in Buffalo, I'll stop somewhere, see a bunch of really good stuff, whether it's building materials or new product. And for some reason, I don't take it. And then I'm there three days later and it's still there. Can you tell a story of how you met your wife then? Because she seems to share the passion. It was the first year of college at the end of the year. And I was dumpster diving in the roll-off container outside of our dorm. And she came up behind me and was like, hey, what are you doing in there? And <laughs> I was like, oh, there's some, there's some cool stuff that, I, that all these kids throw away. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I'm here doing the same thing. And we shared some tips, like you should go check out the dumpster over here. We actually ran into each other again at a different dumpster. I gave her a ride to the next one. And then I was asked for a number and we dated for like four months and then rest is history. If I was with somebody else who thought it was gross, like I might not be like where I am today. She you know, sees the value in it and encourages me and we go out and do it together too. I want to hear a little bit about how that's continued in parallel to your business, but I'm wondering if we can do a little sidebar. Yeah. And could you give us a quick start guide to dumpster diving? Some maybe counterintuitive yeah. tips in particular. One of the things that I thought really interesting about your content online is like, it's obvious to me. It's like, oh, unused paper towel rolls. Like I know that that's of use, you know? Chips, like I used to dumpster dive for chips behind the Lay's factory distributor in my hometown. But you see value in things that like, whoa, that's valuable. And I'm curious as to like, what are some surprising things that have value? And what are some surprising ways to get good stuff if you go out on the town? To get started, you just need to be consistent. Commit to that you're going to check 50 or 60 dumpsters over the next couple hours. Stay away from restaurant dumpsters. They're nasty. But go check 50 or 60 and then check it again like three days later and then check it again three days later. And once you have checked those 60 dumpsters five or six times, you start to realize, okay, 90% of these dumpsters are useless. It's just office trash, whatever. But you start to find the dumpsters where they continually throw away like useful materials. So now you only have to stop at like five or six of those 60 dumpsters when you want to go dumpster diving and you're way more likely to find useful items. I'll basically establish kind of routes in different areas of the city where I know the 15 to 20 dumpsters that are most likely going to have the best stuff. So it takes me less time to find more stuff. That's where consistency pays off. In terms of like, finding value in things others wouldn't find value in. 
eBay is like your best friend. If the thing has a part number or a UPC code, you can look that thing up and you can see sales history for the last six months. So you can know if you want to take something or not. That's huge. My turn rate for product that I find in the trash is like seven to one. So like inventory turns. So I'm not taking stuff that I'm going to have to hoard for years. I'm only taking stuff that is going to sell. When you say seven to one, what does that mean? If you went on my eBay right now, I've got 100 products listed. If I look at my sales over the past year, I've sold 700 items. So I've gotten seven turns of inventory in terms of like sales. Just as a reference into how exciting this is for a business owner, a typical e-commerce entrepreneur is looking at three turns and that would be fine. And you're talking seven. One of the things that's so exciting watching your content is you're like just making money out of thin air. I mean, you're in a dumpster and you see like a video game box. Like someone bought a PlayStation and threw away the box. I threw away the box to the Nintendo I bought six months ago. And now it's changing my mindset. Like, holy crap, that's worth 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's so cool. I think part of the reason people don't do it is like, man, it sounds like a lot of work to like have the shipping infrastructure and then the ability to post it on eBay and all that stuff. Is there a way to simplify that aspect of it? In terms of listing, you need five to 10 photos. And I just snap them with my smartphone. I can get through 10 to 15 listings an hour. The shipping, I'm very lucky that I have an existing e-commerce business. We have postal service pickup and FedEx pickup every day. And we get the discounted rates because we ship so much. So I just have a shelf of product that my employees know to go pick from. If an order comes through from eBay, they know to go to that shelf and look for that product and ship it. That's going to be harder for somebody who's just starting out to set up. But using something like ShipStation, you get access to their UPS rates. So you might have to pay 20 bucks a month, but you're going to pay $8 to ship something where even if you had a UPS account and got a discount, you'd be paying 14 to ship it. So those savings rack up. Check this out. Most TMBA listeners will already be familiar with the SEO agency Smash Digital. In fact, the founder, Travis Jamison, has been on the show many, many times. Last year, over 200 listeners took them up on their free SEO audits. They are no BS, no sales pitch, a 100% free SEO audit. Take them up on it. Noel Andrews, CEO of JobRack, says an incredible an awesome SEO teardown and review of my site from Smash Digital. Hugely detailed, tons of actionable steps, and clearly lots of opportunity to get benefit from focusing more on SEO. David Heehenberger, founder of Flamingo, writes, I got audits for both of my businesses and they massively over-delivered. They could easily charge for this, but they're not because you're listening to the TMBA podcast. So if you want to take advantage of this incredible offer of a free SEO video audit of your website in this month of October, Head on over to smashdigital.com slash TMBA and a big up to Smash Digital for sponsoring the TMBA podcast. A lot of people, Dave, have speculated as to, I don't know what 1-800-JUNK does, but maybe you know something about like, why isn't there a business that will go to your house and just take all your old stuff? 
and like pay you 15%. And they have like a positive message like you guys do. And then they just flip around and sell it all on eBay. I think that was like a thing for a while. There was like the eBay stores. Like you could take your stuff to the eBay store and they take a commission and they sell it. That was like in like 40 year old version or something like that. <laughs> I never heard of that. <laughs> there must be some reason why it hasn't come up. You got to believe that like you could just invite some dude with a truck over to your garage and they could just pull all your old tools out or whatever. And they just give you like 400 bucks cash on the spot. That's basically storage wars, right? They can look at a storage unit and think I can flip this for X amount of money. But it is kind of hard to scale out. You have to know what you can sell that item for. Honestly, yeah. I've just avoided it because I can get so much of this stuff for free for like no cost. So when right. there's when there's no cost, you've got a lot of margin. Tell me about the parallel tracks, the two Daves. From your 19, you meet your now wife in a dumpster, but then you know, you strap on the button-up shirt and you become a respectable professional. And then you build the e-commerce business in 2015 and you start selling novelty items online. How does your dumpster diving passion like coexist along the way? Like, are you doing it every weekend? It's really the last three years that I've been getting into it a lot more. Before that, I might sell a couple grand a year on eBay, just like stuff that I owned that I wanted to get rid of or stuff that I found once in a while. But I would say three years ago, I started doing it on like a much larger scale to the point where I started making like two to three grand a month doing it, like reselling. What was the inciting incident of like, oh, I'm going to go jump in the truck and... My wife and I, we were moving in together. And I just had to get rid of a bunch of stuff. So I just was like, oh, I'll just sell it on eBay like I normally do. And something just clicked that I, I made like, you know, 900 bucks just selling my own stuff. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It kickstarted like the seeing value in different things. So like then it was like, oh, that thing on the side of the road, I could probably sell that too. Sidetrack. I also was into like the used book, like retail arbitrage thing for like a year in like 2017. I just, what is that thing? So it was buying used books, whether it's at a thrift store or from the clearance rack at Barnes and Noble or like library sales and then reselling the books on Amazon for like a huge, huge markup. I made 20 grand. It's like somebody in California wants an out of print book or something. Yeah, that or like textbooks was still, that those were still valuable, but you could find books for 50 cents and then sell them on eBay or sell them on Amazon for $25. So when I started dumpster diving a lot more, that income, I was basically just running it through my e-commerce business and it made it so that we weren't cash poor. Because as you know, building a physical products business is very cash intensive. You have to be keep rebuying inventory. And when I have this engine where I'm able to get a couple grand of free cash flow from this dumpster diving, I'm basically turning around and the material for the next product launch. So from a cash flow perspective, it was it's been great. It seems fun, like the hunt. Yeah. You know, and is there something so pure for me? Like we've done a bunch of episodes about eBay hustles and Craigslist hustles. Mm -hmm. There's just some so like pure about it, you know, just yeah. like cutting a deal with somebody just one-on-one. -on -one. I got something yeah. that you're going to want this. 
What was the moment that you got pressed for this? I did a Reddit post on the dumpster diving subreddit that I was making one to two grand a month doing this. And I did a pretty detailed breakdown of how I was doing it. And there was a vice producer that Aro was already wanting to do a dumpster diving documentary. And when he saw that, then he reached out and it was like three months of back and forth before they actually came and did the documentary. What was it like being on camera like that? They take so many takes of stuff. They're like, get back in your car and get back out of the truck again so we could film it from a different (laughs) angle. They're like, well, hold on, we got to get set up. We'll do a reservoir dog scene. And like, (laughs) (laughs) when we go out dumpster diving, like I said, we'll check 50, 100 dumpsters. Like when we went out with them, we were able to check like four because they just kept wanting to do reshoots. And like, (laughs) it was just funny because it was like two days of shooting for a 10 minute documentary. It's Vice. They do like an amazing job. Like they had two camera people and a producer there for two days. Can you describe what it was like watching the video for the first time? If you're not some kind of influencer, then it feels like kind of like an out-of-body experience that like, oh, that's that's how I sound. Like, that's how I look <laughs> when I do this. Because we all have like our internal monologue and vision of ourselves. But when it's yeah. flipped around and you're on camera, it's like you realize different things about how you act and how you are, I guess. Yeah. Like when I see photos of myself, I'm like, oh, I'm fat. Yeah, your mental image of you is uh, your high school buffed (laughs) self, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Can you tell me, I'm curious about what was the reception of the press? Like, how did people start to interact with you? What was the response? I think it was still kind of hard to find us. Like from even after that voice documentary, even though like our names were in there, my wife and I just weren't out on like social media trying to push this stuff. But some people did find us somehow. They found our like Facebook profile or like a LinkedIn profile and they reached out and they wanted to do that business insider came after article came after the vice interview. You're wearing your DC shirt. Shout out. Thanks yeah, for that. Yeah. Thanks for keep, you know, not throwing it in the dumpster somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I've got a lot of that merch, a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, what's interesting about the response is, um, I love YouTube and YouTube is famous for polarizing audiences or, you know, you got a wide swath of society sort of weighing in. And the response to your video is really unique. People are inspired in a kind of a deep way. This dude found a wife in a dumpster. He is the dumpster diving god. These are the top rated comments. All jokes aside, this is one of the absolute most socially and environmentally healthy side hustles someone could possibly do. I'm wondering how you're processing all this, Dave. Like your guys' story is like super inspirational and I can't really put it totally into words. The sheer amount of like comments on that video was crazy and it's fun to go read them. I am like realizing that we kind of stumbled on gold here and it's exciting that even if we inspired like 10 people to go out and dumpster dive after that documentary, then it was like worth it, right? Because at the end of the day, it's about like decreasing the amount of material that goes to the waste stream. And I can start a $10 million business where I focus exclusively on that, but it's like a drop in the bucket compared to the overall waste stream of America, for instance. But 
if I can inspire a couple hundred other people to do the same thing, that's how you can scale and like actually make an effect on the the overall number. I think your message is empowering, you yeah. know, like I can actually do something about it and have it be fun and profitable and contribute. When was the moment that you guys were like, oh, like this is a thing thing. Let's do something about it. You're like the unlikely influencer. I've been saying that I'm going to start a YouTube channel or some social thing for years regarding this dumpster diving. And my wife kind of finally got sick of hearing me say that. And so she started the TikTok account and started like just doing videos of us out there dumpster diving. And it started getting some traction. And that's when the light bulb went off in my head in terms of getting way more serious about this from a business perspective. And just realizing that there's, like you said, a lot of people out there who are like hungry for this type of content, that it's useful and they can take something away from it that they can go out and do tomorrow. Like it's something that is very easy for other people to go emulate and do. And I try to come at it from a perspective of like an opportunity mindset. It's so funny how many comments I get of like, dude, why are you giving this away? Your dumpster's <laughs> going to disappear. They're going to lock it. And like, or like all the normies are going to start doing it now. But the whole idea is I'm trying to inspire other people to do it, trying to like empower other people. And it's been a very like successful strategy to give that away for free. A lot of people are building in public on Twitter with their sasses. You're doing like this sweaty startup build in public, you know, yeah. sweaty in person, let's go make money today kind of thing. Yeah. The make money today is why I'm so bullish on this is because we're already making three to five grand a month doing it. And that... Yeah. Who needs validation? Screw yeah. the validation framework. Just sell it. Just sell it right now. Yeah. So that's validation right there. But when you add the potential for like the social media revenue shares, and then also like this product business idea that I want to build new product out of stuff I find dumpster diving. Like full circle back to your wine bottles. Exactly. This is called upcycling, isn't it? Yeah, that's like the buzzword. It's been pretty popular in the fashion industry the last couple of years. There's so many revenue streams. It's nuts. We'll have to circle back on this one, Dave, and follow the story. I hope you're willing to do that. Yeah. But uh, I got to read this line that just like jumps off the page is like Dave is like entrepreneur to the core. Everybody can relate to this. I've been obsessing over this for a solid month or two now. My family and friends are sick of me talking about this. <laughs> this cracks me up. So you basically go to the formula like, what do you think I'm missing here? What doesn't make sense? Maybe it sounds weird, but I'm passionate about dumpster diving. Just cracks me up because like everybody can relate to that. What does obsession over a few months look like for you as an entrepreneur? Neglecting the current business for sure. And just leaning into the new idea. I keep coming back to the TikTok. Like we've seen crazy growth. We've gotten 30,000 followers in the last 10 days. We went from 6,000 to 36,000. And you've had viral videos yeah, already? In the past 10 days, I've had three videos go over a million views. Just the feedback and the comments from people is awesome because what I've started to do is if I find some new material in the dumpster that I know that I can like source at scale, like there's a 
dumpster full of it every week. I just take a video and I say, hey, guys, look at this cool thing. What do you think I could make from it? What would you make from it? And that's my product research right there. When you have 36,000 followers and 200 people comment on it, that's our product research all day long. Once you're past 10,000 followers on TikTok, you can monetize it. So I'm to the point now where we're making 20 to $50 a day from the videos. So that's another revenue stream. And TikTok pays the lowest of all the platforms. They pay two to four cents per thousand views. YouTube pays two to three dollars per thousand views. Facebook pays eight dollars per thousand views. So that has so much potential. I'm already spinning up the YouTube and the Facebook channel and looking forward to DCVKK as like a giant workshop for this idea. As founders of remote companies, we all face hiring challenges like hiring today instead of next week or next quarter, scaling our teams quickly, and even just defining what we want in a candidate, where to find them, how much to pay them, and how to recruit them. There's a lot of questions. Hiring's complicated, but it doesn't need to be with RemoteFirstRecruiting.com. It's a service from our team where we help founders like you solve these hiring hangups. Even if you're not hiring today, you got to take advantage of our 15-minute free strategy call. It's with our senior recruiter, Greg Valentine. He's not a sales guy. He's a senior recruiter, industry expert, and he's helped place hundreds of remote candidates and companies just like yours. He can discuss with you the patterns we're seeing in the marketplace, share with you case studies, and talk about how you can build a rock-solid hiring strategy. Hiring doesn't need to be hard. Let our team do the heavy lifting. TMBA listeners, take advantage of this strategy call. It's a simple way to grow a better business. So head on over to our site, remotefirstrecruiting.com, where we believe hiring the right talent is the best way to grow a great remote business. Schedule a call with our team today at remotefirstrecruiting.com. The karmic element of this and like is so cool, but I also think like you've had a product first business for many years Mm -hmm. and now you kind of have this audience or like principle business or movement almost. And it's just fascinating to see maybe the differences between the two. It makes me want to hire a video editor very quickly because I spent like two hours to make like a 14 minute YouTube video yesterday. So that's going to be the first key hire for sure. Because if I can make 50 bucks a day and I'm still at this small scale, then it's totally justifies like investing in a person like that. It's going to help us grow faster. Just learning the types of like videos that people like, what goes viral, kind of like scripting stuff in my head. It's not being fake. It's just trying to present it in a way that's going to be like engaging to other people. There's going to be some interesting questions you'll face. I bet this is going to happen. I bet you're going to make a video that you find some really cool object or raw material in a dumpster and you get a great product idea and everybody wants the product all of a sudden. You'll face an interesting moment where it's like, should I go buy raw materials to satisfy the demand? Or do I like send out the DIY guide to other people to build the product? Do I like turn it into a sriracha kind of thing where I like 
publish the recipe and then everybody makes this product or you know, do I scale along with it and get a product manager and buy it from China and sell thousands a day? Everything, all of them, all the time. Because <laughs> you can make revenue all those angles. And they're not mutually exclusive either. You can give the DIY plans away on YouTube and YouTube is paying you ad revenue. You can come up with a super detailed guide that you can sell as a course. You can make the product and sell it. Because even if you have those first two things set up, there's going to be the person who's like, I don't want to do that. I'll just buy it. So that's why I'm so bullish on this is because all of those are potential profitable revenue streams. And I want to lean into this like build in public thing because I want to inspire more people to do it because there's dumpsters all over the country, all over the world, right? And there's so many niches within niches yeah. there. Like I was fascinated by you mentioning that there's some raw materials that you can find. Like there are companies who regularly throw away metals, for example. In our existing business, any given product that we have has a bill of materials of like five to 10 parts, right? Well, in COVID, we were like, you know, throwing stuff at the wall, see what sticks. We started selling all those parts. So we sell the screws, we sell the magnets, we sell half baseballs, we sell the bottle opener plates. And because we're sourcing them in scale, we're buying thousands of them at a time. So we can turn around and sell them at retail and still make good margin. Helps with our cash flow. We make a little bit of money. But I'm going to apply that same principle to this new business. And I'm going to be the supplier of used goods. It could be used goods for your art project. It could be used goods for the guy rehabbing his house down the street. A piece of electrical conduit is a piece of an electrical conduit. It could be reused in a building project. It could be reused in some kind of art piece. So if we can be the materials exchange or the materials store for like the crafting world and we're building out in public so everybody knows that it's sustainably sourced, that's another way to go at this business idea. It's interesting. There's like everybody talks about product market fit, but it sounds like you found message audience fit and that that is a really exciting way to think about business. Yeah. And it's something I've honestly struggled with for a long time with the existing business. The reason that I lean on platforms like Amazon and Etsy so heavily is because they do the marketing for you. I always struggled with marketing in terms of like bringing people to our own website or like social media because I would get excited about it, try to make some posts and then just taper off. But like something like this, it's way more sustainable. Like I feel like I can make videos about this every day and not feel drained. And that audience is like our customer base. I thought that was a really interesting point you made when you wrote how sustainable it is to make content that comes from both sides. Like it has to be sustainable for the audience too, to want to hear it. So I think as marketers, a lot of times we get hung up on this idea. Like I got to find a way to tell people about our new product, you know? And it's like, well, no one really cares about your new product. Yeah. Like, so, so sometimes you can maybe as a marketer, free yourself up a little bit and ask yourself like, you know, I remember I had a breakthrough marketing moment when I went to a conference to try to sell industrial furniture and like everybody was bored as shit. So I started talking about the vacation I was going to go on next. And all of a sudden, like people wanted to talk to me at the conference. 
And I was like, that's how like your business can operate online too. Is like, you don't have to constantly be talking about the shit that people can buy from you. Absolutely. Yeah. That's going to be one out of 10 or one out of 20 of the videos that we put up. And it's going to be about how we're making the product, how we're sourcing the materials from the product. Like that's all a really good story. So I don't think we're even going to really have to sell it that hard. They're like topics that people always care about. Yeah. You know, like how something cool is made. Yeah. Versus like this one potential thing you could buy right now. I see other influencers in the space that I think I can get to that point. So when you have an audience of a half a million people, somebody's going to need an end table or some wall decor or something. And I think the sales will just naturally come. I have the direct me or like the link tree link on our TikTok. And yesterday we got a hundred visits to that. Wow. That's three X my website traffic for my existing business. (laughs) And we we only have 36,000 followers right now. Sounds like you guys are going to go for a pretty cool ride here. It's yeah. going to be exciting to watch. Yeah. Final question, Dave, a couple quick questions at the end. One's the hardest is there's a lot of people out there who are want to end up where you are along the journey. They want to own their own business and they're inspired by this. What sort of advice do you give to people who are like, man, it would be really cool to own my own thing and control my time and location? I would say try a lot of things. Don't be surprised if the first idea that you have doesn't work. Kind of expect that it's not going to work. I always come at it from like a product perspective, right? So if we launch 10 products, six are going to be a dud, two are going to be like base hits, and one's going to be a home run. When you're starting out, you kind of need that home run to get off the ground. That just means you got to have a lot of at-bats if we're going to do a baseball analogy. That makes a lot of sense. Like, and it's funny, a lot of journeys end up like yours where you can come back, like getting on base isn't enough. You got to get around the horn mm-hmm. and and now you're going to come back to your base hit, right? You're going to be able to upcycle your wine bottles. Like once you get momentum, you can come back and do the thing that you're passionate about. Sometimes in the beginning, I agree. It's, I like the numbers you laid out for us there. Makes a lot of sense. I think you've mentioned this on the show about your business, the portable valet stands and the bars that you didn't realize how much of testbed that it was, that you had a team in place that you could kind of go after a new idea quickly. And then once you sold it, you, you know, you didn't have that team anymore. When I think about that, I'm not just like giving up on the existing business. I'm just pivoting and taking the resources that we already have and just applying it in a different way. Dave, thanks for swinging by the TMBA podcast and sharing your story. Thanks, Dan. Big shout out to Dave Sheffield for coming on the pod, sharing a story with so many people. I mean, I know for a lot of us, it's tough to put your life online. But it really feels like for Dave, this is a mission and an amazing one at that one I certainly think is inspiring. You can check out his main business. It's called buffalobottlecraft.com. We'll link to the Vice documentary and other dumpster-related media he's been doing recently in our show notes. You can click on your phone and click through. That's it. I got to go do a bunch of event stuff despite the jet lag. I have got my like mobile podcasting set up here. I'm looking forward to getting as many shows from this event 
on this pod as possible. So thanks for listening. We'll be back as always next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern time. That's it for now. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.